BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ditch the clowns on the left and the jokers on the right and join Michael Smirconish right here in the middle. This is the Smirconish podcast for independent minds. William McGurn caught my eye in the Wall Street Journal by telling the story of Michael and Catherine or Kitty Burke, Michael and Kitty Burke. He began his column in the journal this week. Once again, Samuel Alito saw it coming. Recent events in Massachusetts where a Catholic couple was deemed unfit for a foster care license because their beliefs are insufficiently progressive have borne out his, meaning Justice Alito's, warnings. Further along in the story, the Burks are a loving couple who sought to adopt through the state's foster care program. Mr. Burke deployed to Iraq as a Marine, while Mrs. Burke is a former paraprofessional for kids with special needs. The stars seemed aligned for a fairy tale ending for some lucky child. The Burks were willing to accept children of any race, culture, or ethnicity, as well as some special needs. They would even take the siblings. The state, in its assessment of the Burks, acknowledged the family's strengths. In the license study describing the family, Massachusetts DCF noted that, quote, Kitty and Mike are devoutly Roman Catholic and not only attend church with regular frequency, they both work for local churches as musicians. And then opines McGurn in the Wall Street Journal, once upon a time, that would have been an endorsement. Today, it's an indictment. The Burks were found unfit to be trusted with a child. One of their lawyers is William Hahn. He's with the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, and he joins me now. Mr. Hahn, thanks for being here. Tell me about these folks. Good morning. It's my pleasure to be with you to talk about a really great, loving couple, Mike and Kitty Burke. They wanted to welcome children in their family, just like you were describing. They'd experienced the heartbreak of infertility, and after that, they wanted to become foster parents with the hope for caring for and eventually adopting children of their own. But unfortunately, after a lengthy year-long process with 30 hours worth of interviews, Mike and Kitty were denied that opportunity for reasons that would deny not only Roman Catholics, but also Muslims, Protestant Christians, and Orthodox Jews, all in Massachusetts, the ability to serve vulnerable children. Because to quote the state official, their faith is not supportive, and neither are they. That was both an unnecessary and unconstitutional exclusion based on religion. Is is their faith 
actually, I shouldn't ask it about their faith because that would raise the First Amendment issue. Let me instead ask specifically about them. Are they sufficiently, whatever that might mean, supportive of raising a child who might identify as LGBTQ? Absolutely. The the Burks believe that all children should be loved and supported, and they would never reject a child placed in their home. As DCF pointed out during the interview process, it was that the Burks were Catholic, that they were not only attending church with regular frequency, but that they worked for local churches as musicians, that their faith came up and was expressed openly. They weren't going to apologize for it or hide it. That's why we have a First Amendment, that you don't have to surrender who you are just to participate in public life. But unfortunately, that's the choice that Massachusetts put the Burks to, even while it is having a foster care crisis of its own. As the Boston Globe has reported, DCF has been housing dozens of children in hospitals for weeks on end because they don't have anywhere else to put them. But apparently, Catholic homes won't cut it. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. What's the process for this couple or any other? What, what do they have to do in terms of, of passing muster? Well, it's an extremely lengthy process. Like I mentioned, for the Burks, it started in January of last year, and they got their denial in March of this year. And over the course of that time, they had several meetings. They had meetings in their home. It's an extremely intensive process. And that makes sense 
if the discretion that the government's given to do that kind of inquiry is used correctly, which is to say it's used to maximize the number of foster parents and ensure a good fit with children. But instead, here, Massachusetts turned that discretion into a weapon against religious beliefs it doesn't like. That serves no one in need, and it violates the First Amendment. I read your complaint. In the complaint, you attached the entire file, or so it seemed, from the the Massachusetts examiners. And there are a couple of things, a couple of notations that I made on things that I read. So, for example, here's an email, an internal email, after someone has had an initial meeting with your clients. Quote, they had the right answers, but they are not supportive of LGBTQIA plus youth. We didn't even talk about trans youth, but had some conversations about being gay and their thoughts on that. Mike, the husband, seemed much more open and they can think critically about how they'd respond as parents, but their faith is not supportive and neither are they. They also had mentioned that one MAPP instructor said that DCF would not work with them because of this, and one told them that wasn't true. I'm going to ignore the faith part. What of, what of the, the representation, you know, and neither are they, independent of their faith, if they're not supportive of LGBTQ youth, are they unfit as parents? There's no reason to think that Mike and Kitty aren't supportive or aren't fit as parents. As Massachusetts says elsewhere in those email exchanges, they're a lovely couple. They have a lot of strengths, including in particular the ability to foster a child who has mental or behavioral health needs. They seem to really understand what it means to be foster or adoptive parents. Mike himself is an Iraq War veteran from the Marines who's experienced PTSD. Kitty has worked directly with children as a paraprofessional. So, of course, they understand what it means. It was their faith, and it was the time spent on the fact that they happen to believe what their church believes that led to this denial. There's no other reason in the record. How about this? When this writer challenged Kitty and said that gender-affirming care for children does not require gender reassignment and is generally a reversible hormone blocker, she pushed pushed back, stating that gender-affirming care is chemical castration. Yeah, Mike and Kitty, what they said is that she had experiences supporting special needs children, and she knew uh, that this is, issue was controversial. And so she'd be wanting to have a lot of frank conversations with a child before they engaged in anything that I think everyone would agree is a life-altering decision. Ha- wanting to have conversations with your children before they do something so significant is what makes you a good parent. It's not a reason to exclude you from foster care. I mean, I've never... Uh... Council, I've never thought of these issues in this level of detail in the climate in which we're now living. It, it, I've never given consideration to what must a prospective parent be willing or unwilling to do in terms of clearing these issues. Uh, what do other states do? Is Massachusetts unique? Well, this is the thing, is that there is discretion in foster care, generally speaking. We know this. We represented at the Beckett Fund, we represented Catholic Social Services in a case that went all the way to the Supreme Court in 2021, and we won 9-0. There are cases around the country involving Seventh-day Adventists, other families who share their religious beliefs with foster children. Foster care systems have discretion, and they have that discretion to maximize the number of foster families 
and to ensure a good fit with children. That's why the factor that Massachusetts cited here is itself one of 17 different factors that's, that an individual reviewer assesses to his or her satisfaction. And then people also in DCF can then make modifications to that. That kind of flexibility, that kind of discretion renders what Massachusetts is doing more, not less, constitutionally suspect because it increases the potential for arbitrary enforcement against religious beliefs you don't like. And that's exactly what happened to Mike and Kitty. I mean, you can certainly understand because you would not know the sexuality of of an infant. You can certainly understand the state wanting to ensure that uh, if this particular individual tends it ends up being uh, gay, lesbian, trans, any of the above, you want to make sure that it's going to be a, a hospitable home, right? That's a noble and worthy aim. Sure, there's nothing wrong with considering a factor like this, but it has to be considered in harmony with every other factor. Massachusetts, for example, has three overlapping prohibitions on religious discrimination against potential foster care parents. And Massachusetts has the ability for foster care parents to work with the state to set forth, okay, here are the kinds of kids we can have in our home, and here are the kinds of kids that we wouldn't be able to serve. There are all kinds of questions that come up in this process precisely to ensure a good fit. But instead of going down any road like that, DCF said this loving couple with many strengths, their faith is not supportive, so they don't even get to try. That's unconstitutional. Let me give you one more from the file. Quote, Mike and Kitty believe that their extended family will love a child who is LGBTQIA++ the same as they will a child who does not identify as a minoritized sexual or gender identity, but their family will also share the same beliefs about the sins of homosexuality and that there are only two genders, male and female. Should that be troublesome to the state? I mean, you could that you could focus on that part of the exchange. You could focus on another part of the exchange where... Mike expressed that he has been to same-sex weddings and how he's reconciled this with his religion. So you could pick and choose, but the fact that you can pick and choose shows the problem with this kind of arbitrary discretion, which is why a court needs to say you cannot, when you have otherwise qualified foster care parents, use religion as the tiebreaker. Otherwise, the First Amendment is meaningless. We don't ask people to surrender their religious beliefs as a condition of showing up and serving in public life. I mean, I totally get why you keep coming back to religion, because it it then wraps you in the First Amendment. But remove religion. Let's just say that that I am an individual you represent who has the same views as these clients, but it's not tied in any way to faith. Wouldn't these statements be problematic? Well, that is. This just bears no resemblance to the facts here. I mean, and it bears no resemblance to what Massachusetts has actually said happened. I mean, this is why they were denied. There's just no other reason in the record. Would this to tell me if this would be a fair way to frame the issue that you and I are, are discussing? This is what I came up with. Should prospective adoptive parents be required to pledge a willingness to be affirming of a child who identifies as LGBTQIA. Does that frame it? 
Well, again, I think you need to put that that is one issue that the foster care agency would consider along with myriad others. Because remember, you really are assembling a family in a way here. So you're not just going to kind of focus on one thing. You're going to look for harmony overall. And that's the tragedy of this situation is that Massachusetts simply decided we're not even going to look for harmony. We're, you know, the same person who said some of these statements in the course of the emails also mentioned that the Burke should still be approved. But then the license review team just decided categorically, nope, you don't even get a chance. Um, despite all our flexibility, despite all the ways we can work with you, despite all the ways we stay in touch with foster parents over the years and do assessments to see how things are going, we're just going to decide on the front end, hang a sign outside the door, you don't get to apply. But I don't know how there could be harmony if, and, and I'm not saying this of your clients, I'm addressing this in the abstract, if if, if there are prospective parents unwilling to pledge that they would be supportive of a child who years down the road identifies as one of the above, that would be a deal breaker, wouldn't it? Well, I think that begs the question because what it does is it presumes that there's one single answer on support and affirm. It presumes that children always agree with their parents. It presumes that DCF has no other tools to ensure a, a, a good fit with the family. And also it focuses on one characteristic of a foster family relationship at the exclusion of everything else, which would undermine why there's such discretion. That There are certain provisions, for example, that say, oh, well, if you, you can only have X number of kids in the home because if you have any more number of kids than that, that raises safety issues. DCF can waive those. There are provisions that say, oh, well, if you're a uh, non-citizen, you can't uh, foster, but we might waive those in other circumstances too. Um, even these 17 factors are only judged to the satisfaction of the department. So maybe you look at them and say, oh, well, okay, this didn't fit my personal opinion. You'll, you'll note in the email chain that the person who reviewed them acknowledged that she had a bias in this area. It doesn't fit my personal definition of this, but I could see how it fits within the range of reasons. So that's fine. The point is, all this flexibility is why there needs to be judicial review and why the First Amendment protects us against arbitrary power. I, I'll, I'll close by saying I acknowledge having read the complaint and the complaint because you attached it seemed to have the whole file that by all accounts, I'm, I'm excluding this one issue that we're discussing, but they seem like exemplary people and, and that the, the folks who evaluated them came to that conclusion. And the issue I've not yet found the best way I can articulate it is is whether what we are discussing should be a deal breaker. A final thought from you, and thank you for being so gracious with your time. What do you most want to leave us with? I think the final thought here is that the Supreme Court said when it was identifying a right to same-sex marriage is that people who disagree can do so for decent and honorable religious and philosophical reasons, and it doesn't preclude their participation in public life or the ability to speak and teach those principles to others. The Burks want to take full advantage of their constitutional rights and also serve vulnerable children. They should be applauded for that. They should not be categorically prohibited from helping people because of it. William Hahn, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. That was very interesting. Thank you. William Hahn is an attorney for Michael and Kitty Burke. I, do I need to frame it anymore? I don't think so. I, I think you get it. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius X. 
Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app. Here's another part of the adoption file from the Massachusetts couple. Uh, By the way, yes, I am cherry picking. Yes, of, of course I'm cherry picking. I'm telling you that apart from this issue, this very important issue as to how they would parent a child who is LGBTQ plus, they are portrayed as exemplary people. He's an Iraq war veteran. She's worked with kids with disabilities. They're willing to take in kids with disabilities, even siblings. I mean, they seem like really solid folks. But we got to deal with this issue. Quote, this writer began an initial conversation during the couple's interview about their feelings regarding parenting children and youth who identify as LGBTQIA++. By the way, I'm not making a joke. I'm not doing it for a laugh line, but what does all that mean? Now we're adding two pluses? Did you know that? I mean, only from the, the seeing it in print, yes. Kitty immediately said, here's the mom's resp- the prospective mom's response, let's take the T out of it. Okay, so she's asked about parenting LGBTQIA+. Let's take the T out of it. And this writer chose to revisit the conversation about youth who identify as trans or out of the gender binary in the individual interviews. This writer then asked how they'd feel if their child identified as lesbian, gay, bisexual, queer, or any other sexuality. Kitty shared... There's nothing wrong with it. I'm going to love you the same, but I believe you would need to live a chaste life. Now what? What do you think? Well, I, 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 you, I mean, you know what I think on a on a personal level. 
this is just uh, okay. What do we do about the the kids that are born into families that think like this anyway and are born into families and have parents that will not accept them? But we can't impact that. We can't address that. Here we are, the state, and we're trying to place this child in a good home. Is this a good home? Look, you can play the odds. The the odds are that none of these are going to kick in. Then again, what if they do? Yeah. Quite an issue, wouldn't you say? It's quite an issue. Uh, Gilly, greetings in Michigan. What did you most want to say? Hey, I went through the Massachusetts uh, foster care system. Really? I'm here to tell you there is no perfect match. Okay? No mm-hmm. parents are perfect. And there's, and like TC brought up, there's no guarantee that natural-born parents would love a child that was LGBT. So why should the state put that on these people? People that are willing to do this work are so rare, and there are so many kids that need this that I don't think we should put any obstacles in their way as long as we're putting them in a safe uh, home. Okay, not question. With, okay, question. You know, in, in, the, danger, in the but... process, in the process, when you are looking at prospective parents, would you even ask about how they'd feel parenting an LGBTQIA++ child? Yes, you want to ask because you okay. ask how would you plan parent a sick child how would you parent well, well, no, but wait, 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 there, wait a minute but hold on i got i got to back you up so yes or no are we asking about this issue at all your answer is yes yes and if mom says i'd love them i'd love her but they've got to lead a chaste life now what chaste chastity chaste chaste chastity i think it's chaste chaste i don't know okay gilly now what do we do now we place the child in that home because it's for the family unit to work out these issues. And she didn't say she'd kick the kid out. She didn't say no. I hate the child or I'd no. throw him away. No. She said she would love the child yes. and the child would have to lead a chaste life. Right. I mean, when okay. you take a foster kid in, I've had four foster kids as well as my three kids. I asked them to obey the law. They don't always obey the law. We have to deal with that. Okay? When they don't obey the law, when I tell them there's laws and you have to be a law-abiding system. So when they break the law, you have to deal with that. So if they become LGBT and the parents are not of that faith or they have a, a religion, then it's an objection within the family unit that they'll have to work out amongst them. It does Gilly, not put thank the you. child in an unsafe environment. Thank you. Appreciate your phone call. Let me go to Dallas and see what Mike is thinking. Go ahead, Mike. Take the floor. Yeah, good morning. Um, I believe it's, this is a sticky wicket, obviously, but I believe it gets back to the original question of, are, are children born uh, a certain way? Is it biological or is it environmental, cultural, parenting, whatever? And Wait a minute. Do you I'm still think, do you think that's, that's uh, you still think that's a question? Well, yes, of course it is, because uh, this couple is as deserving as they may be on the surface. Who's to say that, you know, if a child and I believe in the biological answer to this. Uh, the child expresses um, homosexual or gay or whatever tendencies that this couple will not partake in radical whatever conversion or, or I don't you know you know what I'm saying it. it, it yeah, just re- respect, respectfully, just, uh, respectfully, I don't even think there are any. I I don't think there are two camps on this any longer. But I'll treat them to be respectful of you. I'll say to the extent there are two camps, I am in the camp of wiring. There was never a day in my life when I said, I think I decide to like women. 
Like that thing never happened. It's just, just it's always been there. I'm a wiring guy. You just, you just made my case. Uh, homosexuality is biological. It oh, is not okay. environmental. You can't, you cannot change uh, a person's, you know, um, right. sexual orientation. Oh, okay. We're no on the same page. Thank goodness. Raise them. Right, but the point yeah. is, is, is so, you know, if, if they have a, a child who fits the acronym, my God, can I please advise the LGBTQIA++ community and tell them, you got to come up with a better label? If for no other reason than for hosts like me who want to talk about your issues, you need Frank Luntz. Call him. The guy who came up with death tax instead of its state tax, he needs to shorten the acronym. I'm sorry to that gentleman in Texas. It turns out we see this the same way. He, when he began by saying it all comes down to the original question, I don't think there's a question. Well, no, you know, it's interesting that this, uh, the couple that does not see, that doesn't think that you should be gay at all, um, I wonder what they would say if they think it's nature versus nurture and they don't think it's nature, then what would they think about having, how would a child that ended up in their they, home? I think they would think it's a bad reflection on them. But how could they possibly, how, then maybe it would, could never happen. I mean, it's a really interesting question. You mean because as, if they're in the nurture camp, we don't have to worry about that because yeah, we're well, heterosexual. It would never happen. It would never, it would never happen in our house. I have one more from their file. By the way, when I, when I acknowledge that I'm cherry picking, That's it's the because whole point. that is the whole point. Right. The whole issue is, are these things a deal breaker? It's not that they're exemplary and that he's an Iraq war veteran right. and that, that she's done God's work wrong. in other. Right. right. It's, it's like, oh, wait a minute. But do you have to be unanimous? I can't get over the fact that we can't control natural born parents, though. That's the I can't. That that's something I'm having trouble with. How so? Meaning that I just I, I have. Is it fair to not allow adoption to homes of very, very conservative people when very, very conservative people are out there having babies right now and they don't think that you should be gay. But you know this now. I get it. You know how they look at it and you're in a position where, I mean, you're the one. Control it. You're the state. You're going to place this child. No, I can't do it. You can't do it. Yeah, no, I'm for the state. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.